the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Derek Bukema, pastor of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, and I'm so glad that you've joined us today for Grounded and Growing in Christ here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Each weekday at this time, we open God's Word, exploring how it changes us and brings us closer to Him. Right now, we are in a message series called Something Beautiful for God, discussing what the Bible says about humanity, sexuality, marriage, and procreation. To hear all of the messages in this series, please visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And if you'd like to help provide financial support for this radio ministry, you can make a gift of any size at that same website, groundedandgrowingradio.com. If you're not already a part of a local church family, then I would like to invite you to visit us at Orland Park CRC this Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord and study His Word together. To find our service times and location information, just visit groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now, let's open God's Word to see what He has for us today. Today, we look at another type of natural brokenness, and that's the brokenness of barrenness. Now, as we talk today and through the rest of this portion of the series about sexuality in the light of the fall, now, there might be some, uh, there might be some hard words for us in the course of this part of the sermon series. It may be that you hear things and you're like, I, I know and I agree with all of that. It may be that some parts strike you as difficult to stomach or consume or to take. I, I heard a quote that I really love in relation to the scriptures and in relation to the task of a pastor, and that's this. It's that hard words create soft hearts, but only soft words create hard hearts. Now, here is what is meant by that. Now, if I'm a preacher that never confronts or challenges the congregation... It means that our hearts will become hardened to some of the important truths of God's word. That we will become less and less receptive to the things of God. But when we experience the whole of the counsel of God, including the things that sometimes come to us as our adversary, it means that we develop soft hearts, that we become receptive to God and to his ways. And so I don't know how the words that I say today are going to land, but I'll seek to be careful and gentle, as the pastoral epistles call a pastor to be, gentle and God-honoring. And I would ask that you just consider all of these words today and throughout the rest of this series, and that you pray for the preacher. So let's, um, let's take a look at the text today. It comes to us from 1 Samuel. I'm going to be reading from 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. There was a certain man of Ramathaim, Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuppah, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. 
On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Panina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along, I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace. And the God of Israel, grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. And they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time... Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. So today, as we take a look at what God's word has to say to us, specifically what 1 Samuel chapter 1 has to say to us, we're going to do it in a slightly different way than we usually do. Within our text today, we're going to be taking a look at what most of the characters contained in 1 Samuel chapter 1, how it is that they respond to the central introductory issue that is given to us in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 2. 1 Samuel 1, 2 tells us of the two wives of this man, Elkanah, the son of Jerohom, about how he has these two wives, Peninnah and Hannah. Hannah had no children, is what the end of verse 2 says. The fundamental reality that's introduced in this passage is that Hannah is not able to have a child. She doesn't have any. The Lord has not opened her womb. She's not been able to bear a child. Notice within the text you have both the sinful brokenness of the man who has two wives, not the way that God intended or created the world. God intended marriage to be between one man and one woman, but also note the brokenness brought about by the fall more generally. Hannah cannot have 
children. There are five main women in the Old Testament who are said to be barren, all important biblical characters, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Hannah, and Samson's mother in Judges 13, 2-3. Almost all of them are introduced, before we know much of anything else about them, as being without children or being barren. And almost all of them are used in particularly important ways to bring about the continuation of the line that the Lord God has promised or deliverance to the people of Israel. Hannah's inability to conceive and bear children is a controlling feature of the first chapter of the text. And I would like for us to look together at how different people address it. So first is Hannah's rival, Peninnah, Peninnah. Interesting name, one not often repeated. You don't meet many people naming their daughters Peninnah, and it's for good reason. You might encounter a bunch of different Hannahs in the life of the church or among your friends. You probably don't encounter many Peninnahs, and I think it's for good reason. She is a mean person. She's an unkind woman. She's said to be the rival to Hannah, and this is evidence for why it is that God has designed marriage to be a certain sort of way. There's trouble that comes from disregarding God's plans for marriage. There's this rivalry between the two wives of this man here. Peninnah was able to conceive. She was able to have kids. And she decided that she was going to rub in the fact that Hannah could not. The Bible says that she provoked Hannah grievously. This was hardcore insulting that was continued on over a long period of time. It makes sense that the provocation that Hannah was receiving would have been particularly sensitive. In the world in which these people lived, in the surrounding culture, almost every pagan nation had a creation myth of one sort or another that the world, that the universe, that the ground, that all that we saw and experienced came because one god or another gave birth to it. In almost every ancient pagan narrative... The world was created because a deity conceived and then birthed the world. And so one of the baseline and fundamental understandings of a lot of the surrounding cultures was that you got to be like a deity if you were able to have children. That is the way that you imaged or were like a deity. So there was a lot of shame There was a lot of shame surrounding if somebody could not bear children because it meant that you couldn't be like the deity that had created the world in these ancient Near Eastern creation myths. It meant that they were unable to be God-like or image bearers of the deity who had made the world. Within the context of Israel, things were different. The story of God making the world and the in the scriptures is different from all of the surrounding areas for the people of Israel. The Lord God speaks the world into existence. But childbearing and child rearing had a unique importance attached to it in the context of Israel. Because one of the things that is given in Genesis chapter 3 is that the, the serpent comes and deceives the man and the woman, but there is a promise that's given that someday the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Within the context of Israel, therefore, there was this promise that the Messiah would come. And so childbearing had a weight beyond what you or I might understand. The one who would save the people of Israel would come through the seed of the woman. Therefore, there was a particular need 
for childbearing and childrearing. So again, within this particular context, both within the, the, the people of Israel and this broader context in which Hannah lived, there would have been shame or disgrace surrounding Hannah, greater than the simple desire to be a mom or have children, which itself is an extremely strong drive. And Peninnah exploited this again and again and again and again. Every time Hannah would go to the house of the Lord, the other wife would rip open the scab again. She had children, but Hannah had none. I hope that what's clear in the text is that the way that this particular woman is acting is merciless, it's cruel, and therefore it is a sin. It was a sin for Peninnah to provoke Hannah grievously about her infertility, about her barrenness. Hannah is so troubled by this cruelty, by this sinful cruelty, that Hannah can't eat, is what the text says. And I hope that we understand by implication from what the Bible says in this narrative that it is the same for us as well. I hope that we understand here that it is a sin to intentionally provoke those who have no children. I hope we would recognize how wrong it would be to be cruel in such a context. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. And now more from Pastor Derek in our series called Something Beautiful for God, discussing humanity, sexuality, marriage, and procreation. There's a woman named Jen Hess who runs a ministry for women dealing with infertility, and she writes this. As the leader of an infertility support ministry, I've heard from women describing upsetting circumstances when someone at church made a comment implying that their infertility was caused by sin. This assumption adds to the shame of those dealing with infertility, making them feel excluded from fellowship in the body of Christ. One woman in an online support group described her loneliness. Quote, I find church to be the hardest place to be at at the moment. The lack of understanding has floored me. I can't bear more hurt from other believers. That's the end of the quote. In my experience, it seems most insensitive comments about infertility stem from ignorance about the subject. It's hard to understand what you haven't personally suffered. As with other rarely discussed health issues, many people aren't aware of the ramifications of infertility. They don't know that it affects one in eight couples. They haven't felt the embarrassment of being the only couple in church without kids to send to Sunday school. They aren't experiencing the month-to-month roller coaster of emotional and sometimes physical pain, only to be told by someone in Bible study the well-meaning but hurtful advice, you just need to trust God and relax. Instead of perpetuating unwitting cruelty, the church can seek to better understand infertility to build one another up in faith. This is a particularly sensitive topic or area or issue. It doesn't have all of the spiritual, cultural ramifications that uh, Hannah did at this time in Israel. But nonetheless, it's a deeply, deeply sensitive and difficult issue. And so Christians, we've got to be particularly careful and wise. We've got to be particularly kind. 
We've got to operate particularly in love and care. Let's talk about let's talk about another person that we hear of in the narrative here, Elkanah, the, the husband. Now, Elkanah is a dude that I can identify with, truth be told. He seems to me to be a pretty derpy husband, to be honest. Uh, he, uh, he seems to genuinely love his wife, Hannah, right? I mean, he, he shows that by trying to give her a double portion anytime they go to the temple. But then he does this thing that, guys, we can do this sometimes. He makes it all, all about himself. And frankly, in the course of the narrative, it's hard for me to read the words of Elkanah without chuckling a little bit, because take a look at what he says here. And Elkanah, her husband, verse 8, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Whoa, buddy, it's not about you, man, all right? So just be quiet for a second. Now, guys, again, I'm just speaking to you. It's very easy for us to do this. Like, Hannah is so troubled in spirit that she can't eat. And he's just like, well, aren't I enough for you? It's like, no, man, all right? This is just not the right thing to say right now, okay? Don't make it about you. Well, I feel like I'm worth like at least 10 sons. No, Elkanah, all right? Man, it's not about you. Now, this is also a terribly insensitive way to try to address people, right? Well, aren't I enough for you? Come on, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's remarkable to read his words and to see so clearly how I could find myself there. I mean, Elkanah, come on, man. It's not about you, man. And this is another way that we can sometimes deal with it. Like, pull pull yourself out of it. Why are you so sad? Like, don't don't you have other stuff that's not, aren't I enough for you? Come on. Just, I mean, just eat a little bit. It's not, why are you crying? Come on. Not helpful. Not helpful to Hannah. Not helpful when we operate the same sort of way. This is one of the difficult realities of, of life as a Christian, right? Like, sometimes we have to be able to say hard truths that aren't convenient or politically correct to each other. But oftentimes, by, by just telling somebody to shrug off pain that's being experienced, we multiply or exacerbate the pain. It's not about you. And you can see for Hannah, this is like a fundamentally difficult reality. Hannah is deeply impacted by this. I mean, she, she carries in a heavy way the difficulty of not being able to conceive children. There are times where she can't eat. She's too pained by this reality. And she goes to the temple and she weeps bitterly. And so moved is she in the course of her praying that her heart is praying and her, the tears are coming and her lips are moving, but there's no sound there. It's, it's so deeply intense that when Eli, the priest, sees her, he thinks that she's just drunk. He thinks that this is not normal. This is not a normal way that you'd see somebody praying. And so he comes up to her and he scolds her. Come on, lady. Not, not while you're drunk. Get, get, get out of here and put wine away from you, he says. And she has to protest, right? No, it's not that she is drunk. She's just been pouring out her soul before the Lord. It's just because of her anxiety and vexation. She's distressed in spirit. She wants to have a child more than anything else in the whole world. And what horrible pain it is for her that the child hasn't come. To his credit, Eli recognizes that he was wrong. 
this was not a drunk woman. This was a woman in pain. And he tells her, he says, go in peace. And the God of Israel grant your petition that you've made to him. And as we come to the conclusion of our passage this morning, we see that the Lord, the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Now, the name Samuel sounds like the Hebrew for heard of God. So she said, yeah, Samuel, this one, this one is evidence that God has heard me and that God has responded. Now, this is a beautiful end to this particular narrative, that God heard her prayer and responded by giving to her a son, a son that she will give back to the Lord to be a priest himself, Samuel. Now, what should we take from this? Now, it would be a misunderstanding of this scriptural text to say a whole host of different things. This passage is not saying to us, well, if you just pray intensely enough, then God will give you the thing that you want. It's not saying, it's not saying, please understand, if you had just prayed a little harder for a child, you'd have one now. It'd be wrong to use the passage in that sort of way. This passage isn't saying, now, if you just find the right religious leader who will speak the right words over you, you'll be able to have the thing that you desire. This passage isn't saying, you know, the key here is that she found Eli and he was the right person. He said, the Lord will grant what you desire. And that was what the key is. And so what you need to do is find the right spiritual leader to speak the right words over you and you'll have the thing you desire. It would be wrong, be wrong to draw that from this passage. Again, I, I want to quote, uh, quote the woman that I quoted earlier in the message, uh, a woman named Jen. She runs a, a ministry for women who are dealing with infertility. And what she says about this, I think is very helpful. She says here, the word remembered. She's talking about how the Lord remembered her. The word remembered, when used with God as the subject doing the remembering, appears elsewhere in scripture when he delivers his people. Noah from the flood in Genesis 8.1. Abraham and Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19. The Israelites from Egypt in Exodus 2. And the Israelites from the desert in Psalm 105. In all these examples, God doesn't forget his people as if they had slipped his mind. That would be impossible. It would go against his omniscient character. Instead, God remembers his children by bringing his promises to pass. He saved Noah like he said he would. He saved Abraham and the people of Israel like he said he would. He enabled women like Hannah to miraculously conceive because he made a covenant to provide a lineage that would eventually produce a miraculously conceived savior. The Bible doesn't guarantee that every couple will bear children, but it does confirm a powerful promise that God is committed to redeem the sorrows in our lives through the death and resurrection of his son. This is what's fundamentally important about this story in 1 Samuel here. From it, we can remember again that God sees you and loves you, that he cares for you in the midst of your distress, and that if you need to see evidence of that, then keep the story moving forward. In the fullness of time, we see the one come that Samuel sort of prefigures and pictures. Now, in the fullness of time, there was an elderly woman named Elizabeth. She had no children. She and her husband were old and they had no kids. But the Lord gave to them a son named John, John the Baptist. 
And just like Samuel being given to Hannah prepared the way for the great king of Israel, King David, so John would prepare the way for the great king of the universe, King Jesus. And in Jesus, as we sang throughout the Christmas season, the hopes and the fears of all the years are met in him. Jesus lived a perfect life for you, and he died, and he rose again from the dead for you. And through his life and death and resurrection, he has created a new people, a new people defined not so much by blood relations, but by water relations, the baptized, defined not so much by a common last name, but a common savior, Jesus. This great king, Christ Jesus, creates a new kingdom, a new family. And it's within this family that we are welcomed. Every child baptized here at Orland Park CRC is your child. Now, having said all that, I don't say all of that to do the thing that Hannah's husband did and be like, so just, I mean, just get over it. I don't say that to try to be like, so so stop whining or stop feeling pain or hurt. The reason I talk about it is to remind us all of what must characterize us, that our most primary family must be the redeemed of the Lord Jesus. That fruitfulness for us in Christ Jesus is all that is done in the name of and for the cause of Christ Jesus the Lord. That within this body is one part of the family of God. We have spiritual mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. That this family is a beautiful one. And that for all of us that experience the pain of barrenness or loss, We are called to press into the family of God and to find our identity in Christ. You've been listening to today's message from Pastor Derek Bukema. To learn more about Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, listen to past programs, and to give a gift to support our work preaching the Bible on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, visit us today at groundedandgrowingradio.com. And while you're there, please sign up to download your free copy of the ebook. Answering Seven Hard Questions That Christians Ask. Again, that's groundedandgrowingradio.com. This is Pastor Derek Bukema, and on behalf of Orland Park Christian Reformed Church, we want to thank you for your support and partnership in proclaiming the gospel here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. If you're looking for a local church to call home, Orland Park Christian Reformed Church welcomes you to worship with us this Sunday. You can find all the details online at groundedandgrowingradio.com. Thanks again for joining us, and until next time, may God bless you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.